Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unsound on Sound, the podcast where we are unsound on the subject of sound. This is episode three, and I am. Uh, this one's a little different. We're interviewing a performer. Yes, we let them talk as well. Uh, this is uh, the, the, the absolutely virtuosic Toronto-based cellist Amal Arulanandam, and we are talking about Vincent Ho's Heist 2.0, which is written for VC2, Amal's um, cello duo. Now, this is fun here because they've recorded the piece, during the pandemic, everybody doing their little part in their house, sticking it together using the powers of digital technology. We will link to the video in the show notes because it's out now. And also, you could you could go on to Facebook, like VC2. The video would be there as well. And, and as always, you don't have to watch the video. Nobody's going to make you. They're not going to walk into your house and open your eyes up clockwork orange style and play the video. But it's going to give you the context that you need to enjoy this podcast to its full abilities as a means of entertainment. And it's short, too. It's not like the other one where we're like, oh, listen to this 15-minute piece. Nah. This is a good length. You'll like it. Just go to the website and absorb Heist 2.0 by Vincent Ho. Now, I gotta get real with you now. I, uh, uh, I, uh, I recently released the first episode of this podcast. I think it was how, how well received. Well received, but who knows? I don't know these things. I mean, some people message me like, Hey, good job. You released a podcast. I love all the sound effects. They don't detract from the interviews at all. I don't know if that's true. Now, to blow your mind further in terms of temporality, I'm about halfway through this podcast that you're going to listen to i've gone halfway through adding in the sound effects then i've stopped now i've added a sort of whooshing sound whenever amal mentions somebody sending some information to another person by telephone or, or text or email but every time i do an episode i do these edits and i think oh this is a fun bit i'll see if i can remember this bit for next time and then I forget, and and that's the passage of time, and that's really what contemporary music is all about. It's about writing things that are too complicated, and ultimately you just forget about them. <laughs> but isn't that what makes it special? It's unclear. What is clear is that we're reaching the end of the time that I allot for these intros, so what I want to do is I want to play for you some some of heist 2.0 uh near the end when it's getting all hype and then we're gonna transfer out of that and just right into the interview 
I'm not going to come back and say, hey, well, that was the example. No. You're going to have to figure that Okay, so yeah, I'm here talking with a mole, a cellist uh, extraordinaire, and uh, notably for this conversation, a uh, member of VC2, along with Brian Holt, a cello duo. And today we're going to, at some point, get around to talking about Vincent Ho's Heist, which is for, written for VC2, right? And with a, um, what would you call that, the, uh, a optional drum part uh, as well written in. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a modular piece. I guess we'll get into that. Yeah. A bit yeah. Later. Okay. Well, let's start with it. How did that come about? Uh, have you, were you a fan of Vincent's music or do you know each other going uh, back to, to something? How did this uh, collaboration come about? So, um, I mean, I've known of Vince's music for a while. Like, I, I discovered his piece for solo cello, Stigmata, um, back when I was in my undergrad. I, I haven't played it yet, but um, I helped co-organize kind of this project uh, that I don't know if they still do at U of T for the string players. I, I think they should, but um, it was mandatory for all string players to learn 
a piece of Canadian contemporary music, uh, ideally with a living composer that they could contact and, and talk to about the piece and about their, their compositional process and just get to learn more about what's going on in the world of Canadian music. Uh, and so what I did was I went to the Canadian Music Centre and took out every single piece of unaccompanied cello music they had, uh, which was, they were, they were kind of reluctant at first, understandably, um, but they let me do it. Uh, and in, and I had to sort through all these pieces and distribute them to the studio. Um, and so I remember stumbling across that and thinking it was, it was really cool, but I didn't really have the, the time uh, to put into learning it at, at that juncture. Um, but several years later, uh, with VC2, we ended up getting a debut Atlantic tour. Hello, this is James in the future. I need to issue a correction here as per Amal's request. He said, uh, it's not the Atlantic debut, it's the Prairie debut. Now back to your regular scheduled program. With VC2, we ended up getting a debut Atlantic tour and we met with the artistic director, Poya, and we were talking about maybe having a commission from someone uh, in Western Canada and some names were thrown around. Um, we, we had pitched Leslie Hinger and a few other people and Poe mentioned Vince uh, and I guess they're good friends for a long time. And so we were, we were having uh, just kind of dinner with Poe because um, she was in town in Toronto for a conference and she called Vince right there. Um, sorry, she sent him a text message and said, do you want to write these guys a piece? Uh, and he's like, yeah, I'll do it for a sandwich. I like how you specified that. It's like, it cannot go on the record that I actually picked up a phone to call someone in this year. Uh, well, I guess it may have been 2019. Uh, definitely a text. Uh, this was this would have been back in 2018, 20, I think, Mid, mm -hmm. early 2018 still still uh phone calls not the most popular thing no yeah well you know a sandwich is a good thing uh to compose for but it better be like an expensive sandwich for sure like um you know that's definitely like um oh what am i thinking of that's like a, a yorkville sandwich at least i think at the bare minimum. I mean, I think I think he ended up actually getting real funding for it um, from some arts councils out west. Um, but so the tour we had was centered around um, music inspired by Beethoven. Yeah. And so the, the centerpiece of that tour was five commissions from five Canadian composers who were also cellists, and each one of those was based on one of the Beethoven cello sonatas. And we wanted to kind of try and keep that theme and so initially we had asked him to, um, to write with that in mind. And I guess uh, with all those other pieces, we didn't really give the composers any hard guidelines. We were like, just write whatever comes to mind and heart inspired by these pieces. Like, you don't need to quote material, blah, 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 like just whatever. Um, and he mentioned being really inspired by Beethoven's uh, motivic development. And so he kind of use that idea in the writing of this piece and so like, we didn't hear from from a little while and then um, we started corresponding via email over with different drafts of the piece he had us um, 
Sorry, I'm getting ahead <laughs> of myself. So he uh, he wrote kind of this riff that's like really inspired by '70s rock kind of thing, um, and he sent it to us and he had us improvise over it because I guess he heard he had heard a piece where we were playing really fast and there was there was like really rhythmic and tight, and he was inspired by that, and so we improvised over this riff, uh, and then he wrote a piece based on our improvisations and the riff, um, and that became heist 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 and heist two so heist two is for for two cellos with an optional optional drum kit part um and the version for solo cello which is mainly just the riff uh is for solo cello and i think um that's actually being recorded by beth root sandvoss for release on a cd um soon the solo cello version oh okay so there's no cello duo version then there is a cello duo version so we've we've performed the cello duo version many times now um and that's the the main one i guess that has been performed uh and then but he so originally it was supposed to be just for cello duo but he had a drum kit in mind i guess he's really good friends with with ben reimer Mm -hmm. um in montreal and And ben reimer uh, is i i don't know him so i'm gonna guess based on uh my amazing deduction skills this is a percussionist uh, yeah, so Ben is a member of the Architect Percussion Quartet, mm-hmm. um, and he's also like a great kit player and a huge metal fan, which is awesome because it really fits the vibe of kind of the music. Um, and he's recorded, a, I think, a bunch of pieces of Vince's, and he's worked with Nikki Lise a lot, and like he's he's just kind of amazing at what he does. Yeah, she's got this um, awesome piece called I think it's called the Son of the Man uh, with the Golden Arm. surprised like he he seems to be whenever she has kit in her stuff he seems to be the first person that that she'll go to go to um so there's three versions of this piece if i'm keeping track right so we got the solo cello piece we got the cello duo version and then cello duo plus drum kit are though is the cello duo part the same between the version uh so the the solo cello part 
is just the main riff, and then the cello duo riff, or cello, the cello duo version <laughs> has the riff with one of with the other cellist improv or playing a written out improvisation over it. Um, I guess that's redundant. Playing a written solo over top of it, uh, and then the drum kit version is the same as the cello duo version, but with um, a drum, a drum kit. kit. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. So I was listening to Vincent Ho wrote this piece called "Kicking It." For uh, piano and drum kit. That's with Ben. music where there's some bleed between the timbre of the two instruments where the piano sort of goes into a percussion sound and the percussion sort of goes into a piano sound at parts Mm -hmm. and what i think is interesting since this is a modular piece we have a kind of playing that is more traditional where everyone kind of does the thing right the drum parts a drum part the cello parts a cello part which brings it back to me that sort of everyone playing the the thing the instrument sort of does in this very clear-cut way does bring me back in my mind to, to something like Beethoven, right? Uh, which is interesting in a way, because I, I guess I didn't know, but he's sort of thinking a little more about Beethoven. But the, the whole modular piece thing, it's, it's an interesting thing in contemporary music where I think it goes sort of in and out of fashion based on how... Uh, the general vibe is about, you know, how specific uh, music should be, you know, how, how utilitarian music should be. Uh, were you sort of, how, how would I put it, was it sort of more your idea to create this modular piece or your and Brian's, or was this more sort of Vincent's uh, vision from the start? We, it, it wasn't our idea and I don't think it was his vision from the start he just kind of um, 
Vince is a guy I've learned over uh, like the last, mm-hmm. I guess, two years of knowing him that he'll be working on something and all of a sudden he'll have a new idea and get really excited about it and, and want to include it or pitch it. Um, so I think he was he was writing the piece and then he sort, sort of, of realized, realized, hey, this would be really cool with a drum kit. Why don't I write a drum kit part that wouldn't necessarily be mandatory but it would be really cool and so we've we've actually sort of recorded this version in a very amateur Mm -hmm. way um during this whole lockdown uh hasn't been released yet because uh it takes me forever to edit video on my laptop with a terrible cpu um but gotta get a video card. It actually man. sounds really cool. Hmm? You gotta get a video card. It's the only way. I know. <laughs> um, we, it, it actually sounds really cool with the drum kit, and and it was we were just like, sure, Vince, if you want to include that, as long as we can still play it on our own, because um, it was like, we needed the piece to be able to tour with just the two of us and uh, across Western Canada. That would be funny uh, if he was like, no, you must bring a drummer with you at all time, or I. Uh rescind the rights that would be a that would be big energy move but uh it would but i i i vince i can't see him being the kind of guy who would ever do that he's been super like we never really got a chance to meet him until um we went out west for the first time and we happened to because i think he's based in calgary right now and we happened to be there at the same time um during our tour and we were going downtown to catch a flames game and managed to meet up with him for dinner before and he's just like the coolest guy he's super chill but he's really passionate about what he's doing um and it was great to be able to kind of put a personality to the music and it made a lot of sense like the the piece (laughs) not that it didn't make sense before but all of a sudden after meeting him it made a lot more sense yeah, so you're saying you put together this recording. Uh, of course, we are recording this in what I've been calling the COVID era. Um, so this is the first one. You, you sent me a copy of the uh, the rough draft, I suppose, of this piece. And the hope is to have the video up uh, by the time we drop this podcast at some point in August. Hopefully, I probably shouldn't put that in the recording. Well, on. yeah, I'm hoping to have it finished by like the end of next week. But how how's this been for you as a performer just dealing with all these weird uh challenges for COVID? I'll say for myself, I've definitely it it, it slowed me down in in terms of my professional work as a composer and and I feel there's still this weird pressure to keep coming out with content. I love the content. But maybe we should all just be chilling out a little bit. But I, I, I don't know. How, how have you been dealing with it? Uh, it's kind of gone in phases, I guess. Uh, it was a little... So we were actually on tour right when like everything started hitting the fan. And, oh, jeez. Um, so we were, we were out in like Calgary region in Alberta and things started getting canceled. We still had some concerts in Saskatchewan that we weren't sure if they were happening or not. And then like a bunch of stuff got canceled and we were basically like sitting in Calgary for a while wondering like what the hell's happening. Um, And then everything got canceled. They decided to cancel uh, to send us home. Um, We did a live stream and then more and more gigs kept getting canceled day after day. And it kept happening until eventually like the entire remainder of my 
2019 concert season just was uh, killed. <laughs> so uh, that was a little surreal. Or, hmm? Do you mean 2020 or you mean the 20, 2019 what year are we continuing? In right now? We're 2020. in 2020 right now. Right. For now. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yes, I meant my 2020 <laughs> concert season. Uh, so the entire remainder of 20... Sorry, this is this is exactly where I'm at right now. I don't even know what year we're in. Uh, what year are we in right now? The entire remainder of my 2020 performing season was canceled. And that was like, okay, uh, that kind of sucks because I don't know what's going to happen for money now. There were, thankfully, a bunch of organizations that decided to still honor their artist fees, which was amazing and wow. extremely generous of them. Um, the Regina Women's Musical Club in Saskatchewan um, and a few others. I'm gonna, it's going to be awful. I can't remember exactly. But there, there was a number that, that still honored their artist fees, which we were super generous for. Um, and then other organizations that I work with, like Thin Edge New Music, uh, did a few online um, performances that uh, helped kind of supplement things. But it was a little scary in that sense, but I really appreciated just being able to slow down, like you said, because I think for me and for a lot of others uh, who are kind of in the freelance world, um, it's a lot of just go, 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 and you're never really taking a break. There's never a moment to, to rest. You'll maybe get like a day off here and there, but like never an extended period of time where you can just like sit down and relax maybe play your instrument without having a specific thing in the future that you have to prepare towards and so that was really nice at for the first little while anyway uh so i i was just going to come back to something you said about the um the piece being pretty metal you pointed out uh, that the uh your uh, percussionist has some experience with that uh there's a, a big question here but What's the deal with metal and cellists? There seems to be such a a connection there. I guess there that's a, that's an interesting question. I'm not really sure why that is. I mean, I, I think for a lot of young cellists, maybe for them they they would have seen um, Apocalyptica, and for those who don't know, their uh, cello quartet, sometimes trio that. Um, got really famous from an album they released of them playing a bunch of Metallica covers uh, way, way, way long ago. I think about 20 or 30 years ago or something, they released that album. And yeah, it was like a long time oh. ago. Um, wow, that but, long ago, huh? Uh, for me, I got into metal before I heard the Apocalyptica stuff. Um, it was just like a natural progression for me. I don't really know why. Um, I, I was like into the new metal thing when I was in grade school, and then my friend's brother, no, like uh, corn, like Lincoln, a Park little bit of Limp stuff? Bizkit. It was it was a bit before. By the time Lincoln Park came around, I was already into like death metal stuff. Oh well, I guess we are of a slightly different generation then. Well, Lincoln Park was right in my uh, just like coming into grade seven and eight as those guys were rolling out, just the perfect age. That's, for that's them. the same for me. I think I think I was in seventh or eighth grade when Hybrid Theory came out. But you were already beyond that. You were like, I don't need this. I don't need this stuff. I I, I search for something harder. Yeah, when I was in um, seventh grade, I think my friend's brother gave me, friend's older brother gave me a mix CD with like. A bunch of Euro metal stuff, like some Blind Guardian, Vader, um, 
some American bands like Cannibal Corpse, like a bunch of stuff like that. Oh and yeah, me, I, I remember like, them. I remember from grade seven to it, some weird friend of mine was like, "Check this check out." This put out. on the Cannibal Corpse. I had no idea what I was listening. Exactly, to. and I, I was definitely like, I was scared of it, but I would listen to it and feel guilty for listening to it. But that, I mean, maybe <laughs> that was part of it for me. Um, that didn't last very long. The guilt part. I eventually I was like, yeah, whatever. This is just what I'm into now. But um, I think that was my first real musical love before even like Western, for lack of a better term. I don't know. I'm not really sure what else to call it. Western art music. Um, it's all art music, but I guess that's what we have decided to call uh, Western classical or like mo modern Western classical. The terms are a problem, and to be honest, I have not, like, I've been thinking about it for years now, and I still haven't come up with better terms for it, really. Like, contemporary classical music sounds ridiculous. New music, like, it's the only music that's new. I, I don't know what to do about it. Uh, as you say, art music is problematic. Western classical music might be the most accurate, but it's a little... And even now, that's like that's not entirely accurate because you have so many composers um, writing music for like more Western-based ensembles that aren't necessarily from a traditionally Western music background, and they're incorporating a lot of their own culture into their composition while using Western notation, and like so, you can't really call or that not. Western classical. Yeah, no, it's it's. Um... It's hard, be, but and also because it's focused in academia, everybody's worried about defining things exactly correctly. Right. <laughs> I mean, I find that also bleeds into performance too, right? People are so concerned about performance practice and just doing things a certain way that people are afraid to take risks or, or go against the grain in performing. Even like traditional repertoire like classical repertoire um, you don't really have those unique like idiosyncratic performers anymore at least and if you do people criticize them to no end it's like it's it's kind of bizarre totally to I come out of the world of classical guitar and that's been really interesting because it's sort of been folded into the world of academia during my lifetime in a way and there used to be every guitarist would have their own style. Some t people's technique would it, it would be totally different, right? They'd be using a totally different hand motion to produce the notes. And now everybody sort of sounds the same 20 years later. And I think, I think it is bad. The quality of playing has no doubt increased and there's more competent classical guitarists than there was 20 years ago. But who cares if people aren't given the opportunity to become stars and gain that charisma around doing things their own way? Um, I was actually, t t I was uh, reading your uh, whole note um, interview uh, of uh, VC2. And one thing that came up I thought was interesting is you, you talk about how um, Beethoven's uh, second cello sonata w is very metal you said it's very metal you said it was metal before metal existed or was that brian i i forget who said that in the interview um we both we both kind of think that way one of us said it but we both 
agree with that sentiment. So, so I actually gave it a listen just because I was curious. Uh, I heard the Yo-Yo Ma version, which I would say uh, does not come across as sounding very metal. But I, I'm interested, when you play your piece and you're thinking, oh, this is metal, are you... Do you feel free playing something like Beethoven to be able to express that sort of stylistic, um, uh, what would you call that, angle? Yeah, I, I would say that being a metalhead and listening to all that music has informed the way I play the cello um, in a lot of ways, uh, especially music like that. I mean, there is a difference obviously and i'm going to take that into account when i'm playing it but um there's a certain rawness and pathos and and just aggression in a lot of beethoven's music that i think people are afraid to bring out like i don't think he was obviously there are moments of subtlety and quirkiness but i don't think beethoven was particularly like a subtle guy in a lot of respects um mm. and I don't know. People are, especially with classical music and like classical era music, are afraid to be aggressive. Um, everything needs to be yeah. like polished and clean and and very like sparkly and light. And I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment. Um, yeah, I would. I definitely approach stuff like that a differently, and I'm not afraid to be more aggressive maybe than some people are like obviously there are limits to that within you want to be at least somewhat conscious of the the genre you're playing so you're not like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a hard balance to find because again you don't want to be constrained by certain uh, academic um, preconceptions but you also want to be conscious of the style that you're performing in. If I have a sort of... I was thinking about the question, what's the deal with cello and metal and that connection here? Right. I was thinking a little bit about the way the cello sounds, especially listening to Heist, where in the lower end, especially if you're not playing so many slurs, the particular pitch material becomes a little obfuscated and the attack of the instrument and just mm-hmm. sort of the general shape of the melodies becomes more prominent. So you get a lot of noise, a lot of attack, and just these sort of lines. And that sounds a lot to me like one kind of thing that metal music does. And then in the treble range, you get these kind of uh, soaring, uh, extreme sort of melodies that are, are kind of highly melodic and have almost that extra pressure uh, behind them that you sort of get with the cello where there's a real as you say pathos to it mm-hmm. and i feel that ability to alternate between that kind of grunty lower end and the soaring melodies up top kind of makes the cello a, a perfect uh instrument for metal i would agree um i think especially if you're talking about like it, it's it's different if you it, as someone who is not a metalhead, maybe this is not the most obvious thing, but with a lot of modern metal, it's kind of taken the production approach that pop music has, being super clean, super processed, super quantized, um, really tight low end, um, removing mm-hmm. a lot of bass frequencies uh, to have like a brighter, especially with increasingly lower tuned uh, multi-stringed guitars. 
or extended range guitars. That's a better way to put it. Um, whereas with the yeah, cello, yeah, all those multi-string guitars. Yeah, all them, all them. We can't have those one-string guitars anymore. Um, but yeah, like now you have people playing like eight and nine-string guitars with like basically going past the range of a of four-string bass. Um, yeah. Right. And so there, you'll hear a lot of like really tight low end with not a lot of bass frequency. You get a lot of like higher mid and then treble um, for clarity there. The cello doesn't really do that. And so you get a lot of this more like raw kind of growly, like you said, slightly obfuscated low end, which I think it it it's still keeping us out of this this need to be super clinical. Um, mm-hmm. And I think heist if if heist was played in a really clinical way it would defeat the whole purpose of of that of like the vibe of the piece right like it's all this kind of raunchy like 70s rock kind of vibe um vince actually said he was inspired by um a noir graphic novel that he was reading do you remember what it was i can't remember what it was called um it had to do with like a bunch of hitmen and like a lot of gritty raw like dark content right and if you if you if our instruments were like super surgically tight like noise gated um clinical sounding things it wouldn't really fit that vibe you don't get you don't get the same kind of momentum and intensity that you would from like a a more free unprocessed Kind of performance yeah i mean it's funny with heist that title for me made me think of heist movies right because i feel the the whole idea of you know watching somebody steal something at least for me is most closely associated with with movies and, and there is something in the start of that that sounds a little bit like the soundtrack to somebody robbing a bank for a, the start of the the piece and then you kind of get into this super solo thing that brings me into 70s rock music for sure like i i do love just with all string instruments really uh you know across the family of cello violin viola and double bass this thing where there's this thing where you go up and up on the instrument and then like get into that like really 70s like guitar solo ranking thing and to me that's one of the real pleasures of the instrument and why always like this you know something like a violin or cello concerto is always going to have something over a piano because there's that efforting that goes into going into the upper range of the instrument um that that makes soloing on them always so fun and i mean i guess it's the same thing on the guitar too but also of course with the string instruments the notes get closer and closer together as you go up so there's that there's that added tension for the player i suppose yep and then if you're playing on an instrument without frets that always becomes a bit of an adventure i oh yeah i'm i'm very i want to get what's that one called the viol is that the one with the frets the like a fretted cello Oh, oh, yeah, you mean like, 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 the, like the, yeah, the, like the a viola da gamba or, um, yeah, yeah. A lot of the the broke, like viol instruments had frets. I don't know if they were f- flush to the fingerboard or not, but, um, yeah, I've never I've never had the chance to play on them, but I love the sound. I just love the idea at some point somebody saying, "Hey, you know all these things that let us not have to worry about uh, pitch so much. Let's let's take them off and." See. 
see what happens. It's interesting to me because I, I was talking about this with um, actually with with Becca Sims the other day about intonation systems. Uh, and I'm wondering if the f- removal of the frets had to do with the usage of multiple intonation systems. Because mm. like with when you're playing on a fretted instrument, you have one note that will sound unless you bend the string um, at the same frequency all the time, right? But when you're playing with other people, you're you're thinking, especially with a stringed instrument, you're thinking in different intonation systems depending on what you're doing like playing melodically is one thing playing in a playing a chord or playing in a harmonic sense you're tuning in a different way um or playing with a piano you're going to tune the notes slightly differently with a fret with frets you can't really do that as much which is also incidentally why i find um in session work playing with a guitarist is always a little bit difficult Mm -hmm. um especially because of that one random major third in the tuning (laughs) yeah well i i actually think uh we have we've done a pretty good um covering of this that and the other thing is there any last thought about uh heist you would like to throw out there uh i don't know i just really like the piece it's it's even i mean analysis and getting into the backstory of it aside it's just a really fun piece Mm -hmm. to play like it's not particularly long it was quite challenging to build up um but it's always a crowd pleaser and it's just it's there's kind of like a real feeling of kinetic excitement to play i think Uh, i once heard someone describe a piece as giving them like this sort of feeling of kinesthesia in a way um and it heist kind of does that i don't know there's there's this this like awesome driving momentum and it just it ends up feeling really natural yeah, I will say listening to this recording, I was very aware that this would really come together live, right? That the way it's written is all very aware of sort of, you know, seeing this live, you can kind of almost hear that that applause coming up right at, at the end where everybody starts hitting the double stops. Yeah, it's always a sure. huge, huge crowd. Pleaser. Okay, well, uh, now I guess we will move on to our final segment called uh, Unsound Choices, where uh, me and the guest just recommend something that we're enjoying right now or is giving us some artistic zhuzh or, or, or whatever else. Uh, okay, so uh, Amal, you want to go first? Yeah, um, I mean, like I said earlier, classical music wasn't really my first love, and I tend to not listen to any of it outside of performing it, really. Um, but there's kind of two different sounds that have been occupying my my sonic space, I guess, in recent times. One is, is, I guess, contemporary math rock, for lack of a better description. Math rock seems to have taken on a very different description from when I was a youngin um way back when when people would say math rock i would think of bands like the dillinger escape plan um but now now it seems to have it's like these bands that would be like gent but with no distortion and it's all like kind of progressive fusiony kind of vibe so this is band called chon c-h-o-n that i have gotten into very recently um and it's like all very impressive guitar work, uh, but like super chilled vibe. Um, 
but very rooted in like fusion and progressive rock kind of thing. Uh, and then the other thing is a little more twisted. Twisted. <laughs> twisted. It's like grunge meets like weird twisted. Twisted. Prog rock stuff. Uh, they're a Toronto band actually called Ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. um, and the guy who's sort of the brains behind it has been involved in a lot of other amazing bizarre metal projects that I've been a fan of. Um, and he's a great singer, great guitarist, uh, writes some really twisted, twisted, twisted stuff, which is, I find really fascinating. Cool. So do you have some out, like if you're going to start with some albums by these two, uh, bands? Yeah. So, uh, with Sean, um, what got me into them was their first EP called newborn son. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they recorded it when they were teenagers, which is also very impressive. And Ayahuasca, they only have two albums. Um, but the one I would recommend is called Plato's Dark Horse. Cool. Yeah, and I'll put a note to those in the show notes. Uh, so for for me, I'm going to first throw something out that... Uh, so we did a concert together uh, at the CMC of, of my piano trio called The Playscapes. And I had y'all put down your favorite albums for um just to put in my my little program notes i did as a zine uh but so you recommended and you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation here but sacred white noise by do you know fantafaxath fantafaxath so i just listened so the the guy who's the front man of ayahuasca is also the main brains behind phantom access so i just listened to this last night for the first time it is it's so fun it's yeah to <laughs> my mind it is i don't know a lot about metal but i feel this covers a lot of musical terrain right it goes from sort of very noise-based stuff to drone-based stuff to kind of really fun almost like metallica style riffs but i particularly i'm always just a fan of of music that sort of jumps around a little bit stylistically so mm -hmm. it really appealed to me uh my my other recommendation this is absurdly kind of off-brand for me but it is the truth of what i've been listening to is i've been listening to the mozart string quintets Specifically, I'm going to say four, five, and six. And, you know, I think Mozart has a weird reputation, and I think these pieces don't get played as much because you got to bring another violist around with you. Yeah, that's always a problem. Always a problem. But if you're... If you've been on the fence about Mozart feeling, he, you know, maybe he's not, you know, a little too whatever la di da di da what were you talking about music always being really light and polished i i do encourage you to go out give these a listen they're 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 dense they're fun there's a lot going on in them and there's just all these weird inner counterpoint lines that are just neither quite chromatic or scalar and i i just feel i could pull stuff out of these and put it in my music today and you know i i don't even have a moral problem with that and i might do it because i just uh i really uh am enjoying the sound of them so yeah. that's my very off-brand recommendation but hey i i just uh i i'm digging them Th those are great pieces i do really like them uh out of curiosity which recording have you been listening to um I've been listening to uh, 
t I think the name of the court is like Takash or something. T A. Oh, the Takash. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah, and they also attack them too. You were talking about like um, different play styles. They're not afraid to to get a little aggressive with with the playing, which is really yeah, fun. Yeah, they're they're pretty um, amazing. I'm so not say, yeah, sure that's the recording if I've been listening to. These people have recorded this the quintets but if they have i would seek out this recording the hagen string quartet h-a-g-e-n h-a-g-e-n yeah so at the very least um i don't know if they've recorded the quintets if they have it'll be amazing uh but at the very least their recording of mozart k421 in d minor and uh the dissonance quartet as well are like incredible they they play mozart I think better than almost anyone else. I mean, maybe that's twisted, blasphemous to say, but um, yeah, they they also just kind of go for things, and it's kind of in terms of quartet playing, just like just incredible, incredible music. I think I, I kind of relate to the, like that Mozart stuff because I feel unlike Beethoven, where everything becomes sort of part of a, a grand sort of emotional narrative a lot of mozart he's just giving you he's like here's a tune here's a tune here's a tune and then you can sort of think about are these tunes related are they different but it's sort of he's just pulling you through almost like he's bringing you from room to room to room and, and that's a sort of way of musical thinking that that i find uh invigorating Anyways, thanks for everything, Amal. It's it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and uh, it's gonna be uh, fun. As I I'm not sure I warned you or not, I do like to go into these and add some sweet post production. So that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. I, I will definitely add in at least a little metal into our conversation. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm always good with with post production. If you want to throw in a little metal, maybe some some samples of from Sacred White Noise, from Sacred White Noise, or from Sacred White Noise. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this third episode of Unsound on Sound. Oh, I've got to turn down the mic level. Thank you, everyone, and thanks, everyone, for listening to this third episode of Unsound on Sound. Now, please listen to this electric fan. We want to thank the Ontario region of the Canadian Music Centre for supporting Unsound on Sound as part of their media production residency. You can follow the CMC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit cmccanada.org for information. As far as us, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, and sign up for our Facebook page, and you'll live forever in a young, healthy body.